Welcome to Fast Growth Stories, the straight-talking guide for entrepreneurs who want to grow quickly and secure funding. Brought to you by EHE, where entrepreneurs help entrepreneurs. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Fast Growth Stories. I've got two very familiar faces with me today, although I don't think I've maybe only been on a podcast with me together once. So I'm joined by Guy, who's back from the US. Welcome, Guy. How are you? Hi, Nari. I'm good, thank you. I'm just wondering whether uh, familiar is a good or bad thing. Familiar or familiar faces? Just familiar. <laughs> <laughs> no comments. Familiar. Just familiar. And lovely Ian Brooks from Startup Factory. Hi, Ian. How are you? Hi. I'm very well, thank you. And I'm just back from staying in Wales. Wales, yeah, the exo- the other side of the um, ex- exotic locations. So we had you you guys on last series. We talked about due diligence, which was really important. But what we're going to talk about today is your previous lives together, where I think you first met, did you, at, at Cake? And we thought that it would be really nice to kind of share this story with everybody because it is obviously a huge success story. And it's something, you know, the role of Cake and where everything kind of came from comes up quite a lot in, in conversations, podcasts, etc. both Startup Factory and, and EHE. So I thought it'd be really nice if we could get you on together and you could both share a bit of that that story with everybody and, and particularly kind of some of the lessons and processes that you implemented that, that led to fast growth. I thought maybe, Guy, if you could sort of kick us off and just for the people that don't know a lot about Cake Solutions, if you could just give us a little bit of an intro to, to Cake and your role there. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, Cake was set up in 2001 with my then business partner, a guy called Rob Harrop. And, you know, we came out of a, another company and for, for various reasons, just decided to, to set this up. And now probably the worst time ever to start a tech company because it was right at the, the end of the, the dot-com boom. It was a dot-com bust, I guess. And, you know, investors were running to the hills and, and so on. So in, in some ways that was helpful because we, you know, we started the company and, and ran the company on a, a shoestring for, for years with no external investment. In fact, all throughout our, you know, history, we, we, we didn't take any investment that we used. So yeah, so that's something in 2001. I was completely green around the gills. I had no idea what I was doing. And my business partner was technically very smart, very capable. And, and my task really was to run the business and to generate the sales. And like I say, you know, Rob technically was already very proficient. I was hopeless doing all that kind of stuff. So it was a, it was an interesting time. We started the business with fifteen grand in the bank that had to pay us as well as the as, as the developments of the company. And for whatever reason, I can't remember why now. I think it probably it was cheap, and it's kind of sat between where we lived. But we we started the, the business in a place called Holes of Mill, which is in Stockport, just outside of Manchester. And we're on the top floor of this old converted mill and it hadn't even been finished to that point. There was no carpets on the floor. So it really was, it was kind of a cost thing. Plus it, you know, Rob lived relatively nearby and it wasn't too far for me to travel. We didn't have to go into Manchester City Centre and it was free parking, lots of good reasons for, for doing it. And it was designed to help technical and creative startups. So we, we worked out there and you know, we literally started the business by, I used to go around and knock on every door in the mill and, you know, introduce ourselves and explain what we did, which was, you know, we built websites. It was back in the early days of the internet, really, in the scheme of things. And there wasn't these complex backend systems that there are now. It was quite simple. There was 
websites, which were predominantly just online brochures. And if you were lucky, you had a database doing a little bit of smart stuff behind the scenes. But even then, that was quite early in those days. But anyway, we, we, we spent the first two years winning business from companies within the mill predominantly and sort of around the Manchester area. And we began to grow the business very slowly. And, you know, that kind of typifies what happened for the next nine years. We we did okay. We didn't set the world alight. It was a lifestyle business, that's for sure. It wasn't a high growth business at all. We we maybe grew 10% one year, 15% another year, 6% another year. It was only one year that we took a step backwards, even throughout the recession in 2008, 2009. And we specialized in a particular technology. But what we did do was we grew a team of specialist engineers who were not in it for the money, but we're in it for the mission. And we always wanted to be at the forefront of technology. And to that end, we were a Java house and we specialized in Java and in particular in the Spring Framework. So Rob, my business partner, got really involved in the early development of this framework that made commercialization of Java a little bit easier and the development and engineering of these systems a little bit easier. And, you know, we started to do things like write books. I say we, I didn't because I wasn't technical, but the the engineering team wrote books. And, you know, we started to get calls on the back of that. And that was the first indication that expert content generation could generate business and was an alternative to having a sales team that made cold calls. And that just wasn't my thing at all. I didn't know how to do that. I didn't fancy doing that, quite frankly. So kind of that's, that's how we grew. And then... You know, we got to 2009, I think, 2010, and our CTO, a guy called Jan Mahacek, very talented individual, completely technical, never saw him in a position where he was on the back foot with another technical person. He was always the, the kind of the, the smartest technical person in the room, the, the meetings that we used to go to. And he went away for six months and started to do some experiments and start to look at new technologies and move away from the Spring Framework, which had become very popular and look for the next big thing. And he kind of honed in on a, a new technology, functional programming, and in particular, Scala and sort of Scala World Technologies. So, you know, we kind of took a little bit of a technical bet at that particular point and we started to work with startups because they were willing to use this new technology on the basis that it gave them a commercial advantage over the bigger companies who were not prepared to jump in that early to a new technology. And we kind of built the business as the scale of world and the, the, that way of building highly scalable systems and applications. As that developed, then as a company, we began to grow. And we, I suppose, for our last six years, entered a quite a high growth stage of our company development, which eventually resulted in a, an acquisition of our largest clients at that particular point in 2017. By way of a segue, it's also worth talking about in sort of around about 2008, 2009, I think you, we got talking because of a government scheme and you know we got on, we both liked football. We were both, I think, professional Northerners. Ian's a big Burnley fan, I'm a big Man City fan. And we got on really well. We worked well together. Ian helped professionalize the commercial side of our business and made us a lot more kind of process driven on that side of things, made us a lot more financially stable with the processes and the the people he kind of brought in to help with that side of things. And also, I think, clipped my wings a little bit in a good way 
when I came up with some mad ideas uh, <laughs> and advised me and eventually became a shareholder in the business that bought into the business, which is a, a massive leap of faith for him and show of support for us, which we still appreciate to this day. And, you know, helps us all the way through to the end, helps us through this high growth period that none of us had kind of experienced before. So I'll shut up at this point and, and let Ian come in and probably <laughs> talk about things from a slightly different angle than, than, than I've come in at. Yeah, thanks, Guy. I think it's funny, you look back in, in life, either personal or business, and you remember certain events. And I remember Jan coming back and saying, I met this guy called Martin Odeski, and he was the founder and author of Scala Nairi. And basically, Scala had been written and designed to address some of the weaknesses in Java. And it was a huge bet. And I, I, like Guy, well, I'm actually, I, at that point, I was further behind Guy in terms of technical awareness. And, and Jan basically said, we need to go down the Scala route. If I jump around a little bit to kind of give you the metrics, 2011, Kate turned over 0.6 million. When we exited the business in 2017, six years later, it was 10 million run rate. And, and that was the impact. I think there's a lot of things that Guy has said that he understates the importance of. I think Guy built the foundations. And if you look at the, the foundations of a high-growth company, it's around performance culture. It's around having an aligned leadership team. And the really important, the two key things, Guy, I'll always admire you for, was that you brought in a team, you built a team, and you let the team get on with it. And I think that, from a founder's point of view, is a tremendous action. And you also shared the reward. So people felt they had authority, they had responsibility, they felt engaged, they were part of something, we were all rewarded. So you created the conditions. And I, th- I, and I wouldn't understate that in terms of, right, we're now ready to go. So all the internal things that you did where you, you kind of comment that, you know, you're not financially brilliant, you know, technically not brilliant, but you created the conditions. So the culture and the process and the leadership that you started, I think, are the foundations for a high growth. Without that, I don't think anything that subsequently happened. And I think the three or four key things then in terms of letting people get on with the jobs are also important because letting go is one of the hardest things, you know, that a founder can do, especially when you build a you know, a professional, I guess, lifestyle business in terms of it it was the kind of the image of what you wanted to represent. You know, technical excellence was always your heartbeat and and you you didn't compromise on that. But I think on the back of Jan coming in and saying, we've got to go down this Scala route, then timing, I think, was right because Java and the Spring Frameworks had become established, but I'm not saying they'd become weary, but the time was right for something new. So I think if you are looking for high growth, you, you kind of your product market fit is important. And then and then we went all in. And I, and again, I think there's a couple of external things that you drove as the leader and the founder. One was the marketing to develop the brand awareness. So there, were, there was never a Scala event in the next five years that Cake weren't represented at the books, the events, the thought leadership. And I remember, I can't remember the guy's name, but so TypeSafe was the business that Martin Odeski founded. 
it changed its name to Lightbend. But I remember a conversation with him when he came to see us once and said, Google Scala. I said, what do you mean? He said, just go and Google Scala. And you Google Scala, and first up was Cake Solutions. And, and that, I think, your commitment to marketing and your passion for thought leadership. And then I think the next thing was taking your kind of your dislike of direct sales because of the insincerity of it into partnerships. And I look back this morning and kind of the badges that we had on the Cake website, Databricks, Datastacks, Kafka, AWS, Lightbend, you know, that really transformed the thinking and the positioning. So there were lots of building blocks that you put in place that if they weren't there, we would never have been able to then go fast. And then you went again by, I say, having an aligned leadership team, but letting them get on with it. And that whole growth agenda really was kind of phase two. You know, to go from 0.6 to nigh on 10 without any external funding was was quite remarkable. And I think there's there's a lesson there for a lot of startups or smaller businesses today that, you know, if you focus, you do the right things, people, culture, marketing, you know, you don't need a huge amount of money if you're thoughtful and you're structured and you're bringing the right people. So I think Kate was an amazing experience, I think, in terms of serendipity around that that leadership team, Annie, Ann, Pete, me, you. You know, we had some good lieutenants then who, who joined the business. So, you know, your focus on people and, you know, no compromising on technical excellence, you know, the benefits you put in place. I think don't underestimate that. I think the foundations you you put in place and it just enabled people to go and do their thing. Just one other thing I wanted to add, actually, which is something that Ian kind of coached me on, I guess, was not just to respect myself, but for the company to respect itself. So I think one of the key elements was as we began to grow in notoriety and we were recognized for the expertise that we genuinely had that kind of expertise because it became a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy because of all the expert content which generated sales, but it also generated interest in the company from people all over the world. We had a massively diverse workforce, 18 nationalities, all kind of colour, creeds. It just didn't matter. All that mattered was the technology and the passion for the technology. But because we created that kind of expertise, Ian told me the, the value about respecting Myself personally, but also the company respects itself in terms of, you know, we, we, we were able to grow organically because we were able to raise our day rates. It's as simple as that. So as we became appreciated for what we were, which is just an amazing engineering team that could really help bigger companies and work with their engineering teams and not just develop products, but also develop their teams whilst we were working with them. We were able to raise our day rates and therefore our profitability, which then fed the, the gravy train and allowed us to reinvest all of that cash back into the business and grow and grow and grow without investment. So it's a really important point that Ian made that people are sometimes, in my opinion, far too quick just to go for the easy option, which is to go and get external investment. It's not always the right answer. Sometimes it is, but it's not always you should also try and explore how you could grow the company quickly, but do it far more organically. Sometimes that's a much better option because ultimately 
you end up with a, a larger slice of the pie, which can be shared amongst yourselves, the leadership team, and actually the extended team in a, in a much more effective way. And that keeps everybody on board and everybody really interested in the mission of the, of the company. Yeah, and there's the two, two other things from that. You're not going to get a word in now. <laughs> two other specific things from that guy you've just triggered. I think my time at Cake was the first time that the word community had come into the vocabulary because Cake was part of, if not the leader of the Scala community. I mean, Lightbend invited us over to the US and we know we won the Bantech project. We got introductions from them. So the, the community ethos which again, you know, stem from open source and all that drive. And the other thing, the hard commercial bit was we won large clients. You know, we, we'd won six-figure projects with some household name IT services companies, which was unheard of for this best-kept secret in, in Reddish. And, and I think that, again, is a, is a salutary lesson for small, ambitious companies that, you know, if you are if you excel at what you do, talk about it, build a community, and then aim high. And I think the legacy from all of this, we could go on for hours, but the legacy is the number of startups that have taken your ambition and your guidance guy. Certainly around Manchester, you've got Fuzzy Labs, you've got Known Origin. Obviously, the startup factory was a spin-out from Cake Invest, and there are others, but you kind of showed, yeah, you showed the way. So again, don't underestimate that that as a, as one of the the outputs from Cake. Yes, financially it was a success. It gave people a career. It gave people a real appetite for personal development, self development, technical excellence. But it's inspired people to go and do their own things. And I think that's a lovely a lovely legacy that you created. Am I allowed to talk? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just going to say, and it's lovely to hear you you two reflect and reminisce. And I think, you know, I just said to you both off air, you know, I didn't work at Cake, but sometimes I feel like I did because I know you've carried those cultures on to you, your own organisations. And, you know, there isn't a day or a meeting goes by where there isn't a genuine reference back to Cake from all the people that are kind of in that in that wider network. I suppose one of the things listening to you in particular, Guy, it helped having somebody like Ian who was on your wavelength and an advisor and, and would encourage you to go for those goals, but also probably could ground you at the same time if if necessary. And I wonder, you know, I know how passionate you are about having the right team around you. It sounds like that partnership that you two had was really kind of pivotal in that growth and success story of Kate. I mean, the team, the team was everything. You know, it, you know, Ian's referred to a few people, people like Jan, who, you know, genuinely drove the direction of the company technically. Without him coming to us back in 2009, 2010 and saying, right, I've done these experiments. This is where I think computing's going. This is why I think this particular language over and above the other languages in the functional world is the appropriate one. And, you know, fortunately, we engaged with some startups. So not only did we we work with the bigger companies, we also worked with startups, which, you know, you can see from what Ian and I are both doing now, we really enjoy that world, that startup world and that high growth world. 
And, you know, we engage with these startups who were willing to take a risk on new technologies because the big boys don't. The big boys leave it five years before they're willing to do it. Occasionally, and, and some of the companies we work with, actually, that's a little bit unfair because they did have little special ops teams, I call them, that within the big organization had a bit more of a free remit to try some of this stuff and do experiments and see what kind of sticks. And we, we you know, as a company, we engage with those startups we engage with the bigger companies who have these little special ops units that were willing to try these newer technologies and that's kind of how you know how we were allowed to move into this this new world of, of, of Scala and functional programming and kind of do what we did so you know Jan I'm able to do that then we had Annie who was the technical director and Annie just had the brain power that was particularly suited to you know, the software engineering and the enthusiasm, endless enthusiasm for what he was doing, passion for what he was doing. And then we had, you know, people like Pete who ran everything behind the scenes and made it happen from an ops point of view. We had like Izzy who did, you know, just met, looked after the whole sort of HR thing and, and effectively kind of ran the company in the background, helping support me and Pete in what we were doing. And then you had people like Elliot, who was just a genius FD behind the whole thing. And, and then you've got Ian and everybody, in my opinion, every company needs, it, needs an Ian. Because again, without any one of those people, it probably wouldn't have happened. Or if he did, it would have taken longer or we'd have taken different directions. And, you know, it's, it's all about the team and the team that build around you to support what you're good at. I'm hopeless with figures, but I can understand the importance mm. of figures and I do understand when people explain to me the situation the high level situation as, as to where we are from a cash flow point of view from a you know profit and loss point of view I do understand then enough to be able to make the right decisions for the business and and take some of the risks that we used to take and, and not all of them worked you know we went to India at one point thinking that we could find a, a team where we'd hire the best people over there and create another cake in India because, you know, it was Annie's in Calcutta. He was from Calcutta and, you know, he kind of, you know, it was a benefit to him to be near his family. So we kind of tried that, but the various reasons that just didn't work. We never found the right caliber of person that we wanted and that they're out there. We just weren't able to find them. And so that didn't work, but, you know, that's fine. You, you kind of learn and you move on and you try something else and, you know, that's how we're able to keep innovating and keep moving forward. And I mean this sincerely, you're, you're also quite unreasonable guy. And I think you need that as a trait. You, you know, you were very reasonable with people and, and that, you know, your, your, your humanity and your humility, two of your virtues, but you were unreasonable in, t- you know, why not? Why can't we do this? Let's try that. And it was almost, you know, every now and then people would go, oh, what's he thinking? Um, <laughs> but but again. you kind of stirred people. And I think you, you know, the word relentless is overused these days, but you were unreasonable by saying, why not? And, and I think, again, a statement of your personal ambition flooded into the heartbeat of, of the team. And no one wanted to let you down. No one wanted to say no to you because you didn't, you didn't, you couldn't process no. <laughs> So again, I think expectations of yourself and just pushing, but it has to be aligned to as I kind of run through those internal, external 
checks on what you need. What you know, is there a formula for a high growth company? I think it ultimately it's down to the people. And you know, the serendipity at that moment in time of of the energy and the focus and the talent was remarkable. But as I say, the foundations you put in, you know, you back the team, you let them take risks, the product market fit, the thought leadership, the partnerships, they all built on that. So there is that internal, external, but I think one of the qualities you had is kind of being unreasonable, but in a very likable way. <laughs> I think, sorry, Nari, yeah. you've probably got more questions, but just very quickly, one other thing to add to that. And, and again, this is something I think you instilled in me in was that I think most entrepreneurs are like this. They, they put themselves last in, in many ways, but that also includes personal development. So you'll, you'll always fund training or learning for your team because that's the most important thing, right? And quite often you forget yourself. And, you know, when I eventually did, probably 2007, 2008, decide to invest in myself and go on a, a program that was designed for entrepreneurs, began in London, ended up going to Toronto every quarter. That's how valuable it was to me personally. That kind of thing really helps as well. So, you know, I think it's important for entrepreneurs to, yes, absolutely look after the team, develop the team, hire the right team in the first place, do all that good stuff. But it's also really important for them to try and think about themselves and how, how they can, you know, improve on an ongoing basis. And I found something that really kind of suited what, I guess it just refined me a little bit and gave me some tools to work with. So I understood myself a little bit better and what I was good at. And that further helped me find the right people to work around me. And still does my, my, you know, now, and I know what I am. I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. And then it's all about hiring people around me to fill in the gaps, to do what they really love doing, but they're way better at it than, than I am. You know, I, I really don't like getting into the nitty gritty in, in finance, for example, uh, and don't like doing things like proposals. It just, you know, I just don't like doing that kind of thing. And it's because I'm not particularly good at it naturally, but finding people that are that love doing it is absolutely key to any successful leadership team. Well, thank you. I have got more questions, but I think we've absolutely run out of time now, haven't we? So we're going to have to do a part two, part two, two and a part three, by the sounds of it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's really, it's really great to kind of hear that story and just unpick some of the common themes, I suppose, or commonalities and, and see both perspectives. And I think the one thing that, like I said before, absolutely comes through really strongly in this is the relationship that you two had and the, like you say, that serendipity moment and how you therefore empowered your team. And you can see that in the legacy that Kate, that lives on in all these little businesses and I suppose they startups, but a lot of them aren't really startups anymore, are they? They're successful, thriving businesses in the, in their own right. So hopefully everybody has enjoyed hearing that story as well. We obviously will have some more fast growth stories for you coming in into this series. If you do have any questions for Guy and Ian, you can find them on LinkedIn. We'll pop the details below and we'll see you for another podcast next week. Thank you, Guy. Thank you, Ian. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks, Larry. Thanks, Ian. Thank you for listening to Fast Growth Stories. Please remember to subscribe and review and visit the ehe.team website for the latest on fast growth and funding.